You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, Mental Health Action, and this is my Brave Australia, dedicated to breaking stigma one story at a time. I'm Jane Grace from Red Flag Canberra. And I'm Tim Daly from This Is My Brave Australia, and you're listening to Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest. I have the great pleasure to introduce and talk to Mari Strachey today. Mari is a London-based creative who writes and produces film content, as well as running workshops, is an actor, presenter, blogger, stand-up comedian and model. Uh, Mari graduated from the International Film School of Wales in 2019 and did her MA in script writing at Goldsmiths University of London, completing her degree in 2011. She has worked consistently in creative industries in London, LA and Germany, where she was born. Those who follow her Instagram page or her blog, uh, maristrat.com, will know that Mari is an ardent mental health advocate sharing freely her own mental health journey. So, welcome, Mari. Hi. Thanks for having me. That's okay. Uh, so, before we begin, I'd just like to say that uh, Mari and I have never met, but we have both been in the same airport at the same time, me on my way out of Australia, and Mari on part of her recent visit to Australia. So, that's as close as we got, wasn't it? Yeah, that was quite strange when we were texting and realising we were both at um, Sydney Airport. That was funny. It was, it was actually a little bit freaky, wasn't it? So yeah, really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so you were here when you were here for the bushfires and all the singed koalas. Yeah, I was. Um, I was there in the, in the from the end of January uh, for two and a half weeks into February. So it was sort of at the end bit of the bushfires. Um, um, but it was still like you could still see some areas we visited. You could see all the um, blackened trees and everything. It was quite, yeah, quite devastating. Yeah, it certainly was. And then who would have believed where we would go next? Yes. Um, now, you were born in Hanover, Germany and now living in London. Which part of London, by the way? I'm in South London. South. I'm near Brixton. Oh, um, can you tell us how that journey evolved? Um, I moved here about well, almost 15 years ago uh, when I was in my early 20s and um, I came here to study film basically. So um, for me, it was always quite clear that I would go into a profession that has to do with storytelling, um, either writing or directing or acting or something like that. And I always liked English, so it seemed to be a good choice to go over to the UK, um, also because it's quite close still to Germany. It's not like I'm in the US and I can't quickly hop on a plane and go back home. Um, that was really important to me because family is really important. So I wanted to be relatively nearby, but I really wanted to live in a different country. So I applied for university here and then... Didn't think I was going to live here for that long, but fell in love with a guy from the UK and kind of got stuck. So that, that's about it. And then that relationship fell apart after a few years. But by that time, my whole life was in the UK. All my friends were here. 
Um, I'd spend my entire adult life in the UK. So I stayed. Um, yeah, and that's where I am today, really. And was the the film um, studies that you came to do, was was London preeminent in, in the particular studies that you wanted to undertake? Well, I first went to uh, the University of Wales. Um, uh, that was where my film school was, uh, the, the bachelor. And then I did a master's at Goldsmith University in London, and that was script writing. Um, so by that time, when I think... Wales is a very, very small pond, especially in terms of filmmaking. So you get to know everybody fairly quickly who works in that industry. And then London is just huge in terms of what is available, the opportunities and whatnot. So it was a very sensible choice to say, okay, I'm going to stay where I can probably expand my network, which is so very important if you are in the creative field. Um, the best and and that was London so I mean I have a love-hate relationship with London because it is very stressful it's an extremely busy city and a lot of people are here to make it it's not really I think a city unless you're super rich where you go oh this is a lovely city to live in I'm just gonna settle down here because it's too expensive to that for that um you, you always have to, as a regular person with a regular income, um, str- you struggle a little bit to uh, make ends meet because it is that expensive. So you're here for a reason. And I think all of my friends who come from all over the world, uh, one of my close friends comes from Australia, that's why I visited, and she's here too. Um, they all here because they have that big dream of um, the acting career or the writing career or stuff like that. So... That's what I love about London because it brings together all these creative souls from all over the world and it's a real hot spot for anything creative. Um, Yeah, so that's why I'm here. And so with your script writing, were you mainly interested in theatre, film? Was there a particular thing you were most interested in? Well, I was mostly interested in film. Um, but I do come from a theatre background because I used to work in a theatre for two years, I think, um, just before I came to the UK. So I first thought I was going to do theatre, but then with film, I quickly discovered that you can sort of control everything. And that probably goes back to suffering from anxiety. You kind of want to control every little bit that you can. You don't leave things to chance. And with film, you can do that. You control the frame. Um, with theatre, it's sort of a living thing that evolves every time you perform again into something else. And um, I felt, no, I, I want to be sort of uh, holding all the strings and um, control everything. I first became aware of you and your work through your Instagram posts, which have examples of your work as a creative, very glossy and colourful, as um, a lot of Instagram posts are, but they're not all like that. What I noticed and what actually drew me to your posts was um, they also reflect the more human side of you and uh, tell a story of your mental health issues, which is unusual in this day of age um, of people on Instagram being influencers and uh, using very photoshopped images. Why do you think it's important to share that personal story? Um, I think it's super important to do that because 
um, Instagram and the same like any other kind of social media, but Instagram is probably the worst one for it, gives the false illusion that people are perfect and live the perfect life. And it is just not true. And although I think in this day and age, we all know that in the back of our minds, we know that uh, even celebrities don't look the way they look in the Instagram 24 seven. Um, it still has an impact on that, on us. And I think it, it's negative because we tend to compare ourselves. At least I do that on a regular basis, although I know I shouldn't, but it's just a natural thing to do um, when you look at these, as you say, glossy pictures. And I, um, I'd loved other people starting to do that more and more in, in recent years that they also showed the other side, the more real side, the side without makeup or, you know, when you don't have a great day or, you know, when things don't go the way you'd like them to go, why not share that? Because that is superhuman and a lot more uh, real on a regular basis than looking amazing and having photo shoot like lights around you um, and everything you just mentioned. So I felt um, if I can contribute to that sort of movement, I'm doing myself a favor and I'm doing other people a favor too. Um, and I'm saying that I'm doing myself a favor because I also then don't hold myself to these higher standards by sort of owning what maybe society deems a flaw. Um, it doesn't, nobody can hurt me anymore with it. So for example, if uh, there are a lot of body positivity posts as well on my feed. Um, and I never thought I would show my hips <laughs> in public or other things I don't particularly love about myself. And through sharing that, I did actually start loving my body for, for what it is. very functional. It keeps me going. It's very healthy, I hope. Um, and why am I at war with it? Only because someone else puts some labels on it. So that's very freeing on my end of the Instagram feed. Um, and then hopefully I'm inspiring other people to also just say, whatever, I'm going to have the bikini on and go to show, you know, to the park in London. Um, and I don't care what other people think because I'm feeling happy in the skin that I got given. So yeah, that, that was one of the reasons um, to bring a bit more of freeing, liberating reality to social media. For people who haven't seen your photos on Instagram, you have this wonderful red mane of hair that just <laughs> instantly draws your eyes to the picture. But in um, in contrast to that are some very sad photos of those days, like mm. you said, those days that you're just not happy and you, you have yeah. a very uh, expressive face and those photos are very striking and they're actually very emotive. Um, and like I said, they're not, they're not your standard Instagram fare. So how do you feel about taking those photos on those days? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Because um, when I feel very low, um, I obviously don't think, oh, right now would be a good time to post something. So... When you see the photo pop up, that is not accurately um, the moment that I feel like that because I would not be able to write a post at that time. However, what I have started doing is, okay, I know I feel really low. 
I take a one second picture. And bear in mind, it's different to the glossy photos. You only need one. So it just takes literally a second because it's not about, oh, is this the right angle or is this the right light? It's literally you're capturing a moment and then you put the phone away. Um, so I, I take that picture when I do feel like that. And then a few days later, when I've emerged from um, hitting rock bottom, that's when I then write the post about it. Um, and I try to get to stay as close as possible with my writing to the feeling that I've had during that time. Because I think a lot of people can um, identify with, with those feelings and feel less alone. And when I post it, I usually get a lot of responses from people who say, oh, this is exactly how I felt or how I feel right now. And it makes everybody feel part of um, a community that struggles together rather than on their own and feeling like they're all outcasts. They're not. They're part of, of you know, a huge group globally of people who suffer from mental health issues. And it's, it's so normal. So... Um, what I'm really trying to do with that is to do my bit to remove the stigma around it. Um, but it is, as you pointed out correctly, I mean, I'm not sitting there uh, feeling very low and phrasing a long Instagram post and then posting. And I would also not be able to talk, uh, well, to message with anyone off Instagram in those moments. What I need then is my closed support system um, and, you know, I do feel um, my followers, I even don't like calling them followers because they're people and followers always sounds like they these little robots. <laughs> they, they're all people, but, um, but it's a curated side of me that you see on Instagram. And I'm trying to be very clear and honest about that as well. It's not 100% Mari because that's impossible to do. And I think... That's also what people have to remind themselves of when you follow someone's feed, um, especially someone's feed where there is a lot of personal stuff on it. You still have to remind yourself you do not know that person. Um, I think sometimes um, people online feel like they are friends with the people, the accounts they follow. And that's the illusion that social media sells you as well. That's why it works. You feel you're part of someone's life through their images and through commenting and getting little comments back. But that only goes so far, and that's not to take away from the connection that you do have. I do feel like I have a connection with the people I inter interact with on social media. Absolutely no doubt. That's why I'm saying I don't like to call them followers because everybody is a human being behind their, their profile name. But it only goes so far. Um, and I'm lucky enough that I have a strong support system of friends and family around me and that I've sort of cultivated over the years um, where I know I can ask for help and I allow my, uh, myself to ask for help, which is a very big deal, which I didn't used to do. Um, and that's, that's what I need in those moments. I do not need interaction on social media when it's really bad. So that's sort of the process behind it, if, if that makes sense. You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, Mental Health Action, and this is my brave Australia.
It's interesting that you said that the glossy photos take a long time to get together and you probably take Mm. 100 photos before Mm -hmm. you pick one that you're (laughs) happy with. But the down photos is just one because there's nothing to prepare. It just is at the time, which is quite an analogy um, for when people are trying to be perfect is that it takes hard work and you don't always achieve it or you never achieve perfection, but it takes a lot of hard work. But the other side of the coin, it just happens. So um, very interesting analogy. I'll I'll remember that one for for a while. So, (laughs) In your blog, you have a story called A Couple with the Cops, a mental health wake-up call. What I found interesting about that story was your journey through the medical system and the eventual crisis call from an ex that caused the police to show up at your door. Why do you think that even with ourselves, our mental health is not taken seriously until it becomes a crisis or an emergency? Um, I think that's due to uh, a few factors. Um, And I think one of them is that when you suffer from anything that is related to your mental health, I think we've all learned to hide it really well. Um, It's not something where you can measure, oh, this person is suffering X amount. We can't do a blood test for it. It's not visible. So it's very very difficult to... um, to show that, look, I'm really suffering. So, and I think the first point of reference is yourself. So you have to categorize correctly in a way without knowing how everybody else feels that you're not okay. And we have learned that sadness, like I guess from early on, I think that's changing now, but when I grew up, definitely sadness isn't something that you go around showing. Um, it's also like there are still a lot of phrases about people crying, like crybaby and such things that are negative uh, connotations for showing an emotion that is valid possibly in that moment. So crying isn't a bad thing, but society makes it an undesirable thing and it's undesirable to show in public. So I think first it's that you need to be able to acknowledge for yourself that you are suffering from something that you potentially don't need to suffer from if you get help. That's a big thing because how do you know? How do you know that this is not normal human condition? Okay, on time. sometimes I feel sad, sometimes I don't. Where do you draw the line where you say, okay, no, this, is, this feels more like an actual mental health issue that I can get help for? It's very, very hard without people around you, without organizations uh, like you guys, like your podcast, things like that, which definitely wasn't available 30 years ago or 20 years ago, or I'd say even 10 years ago, there wasn't that much in terms of, um, you know, podcasts in the public eye. Uh, So you need to find out for yourself that you can ask for help for something and that you have a problem. And I say problem in the nicest possible way, not in in a negative way as such. Um, And then the hiding factor comes in, then you have to overcome that obstacle of showing something that you have been trained in a way to hide. Uh, we don't 
show weaknesses, we show strengths and we power through. And if you have a bad day, just put a smile on and everything is okay again. And I think we've all heard those sentences over and over again. Um, so I think admitting to yourself is, is very difficult. That was hard for me also because I've always felt like I'm a really strong, independent woman and I can deal with things and it has nothing to do with any of that, whether you, you struggle with mental health issues like anxiety or depression or any of them. You can be super strong and you can still struggle. Um, and that's, I think, what a lot of people don't know much about those issues get wrong. Um, and we see it in the media a lot when some celebrities sadly do commit suicide and we go like, oh, we didn't think that you know, Robin Williams was sad. He's such a funny character. Mm. Um, so it's, it's exactly that kind of problematic two sides to the coin thing, what you show in society and what you feel internally. Um, and it's also knowing what's available in terms of help. It's very scary to ask for help when you don't know what that actually means. And can somebody really help you? That's something that I faced a lot that I felt like, well, you know, I know that I'm good with, you know, helping friends and family talk about their issues and look at what's available. And we had um, in the family, we we had a relative who tried to commit suicide in a really quite severe way. And so we spent a lot of time in the waiting room in intensive care. And um, that really changes the way you view the system as well, because... <laughs> we just don't have a lot of information still that is common knowledge of like, what do you do when you feel depression coming on and, and so on. Um, it's not like we teach that in schools, but if you ask a six year old what to do when they break their leg, they will give you the answer that they'll go to hospital and um, probably give you a colorful description of what happens there because they will have had a friend um who came back with a cast that they can write on or whatever. So we teach them that very early on, but we don't teach them, okay, well, there are people as well who can help you when you feel sad, and this is what they'll do. They talk with you. They, there are options available. Um, and, of course, I also understand that we don't really do that with, like, a six-year-old because it's a very complex field. But to teach them that there is something in place for them if they feel a certain way, I think that's really important. And I do think that it is changing in the world, um, that there is more importance placed on that in schools as well. But yeah, I think that was a very lengthy answer <laughs> to your question. Sorry. The hashtag to the organisation that I run, this is my Brave Australia, is uh, storytelling saves lives. And that's why we particularly look for people who are willing to share their stories because we believe, and exactly like you said, it's getting information out there from lived experience to people who may be in a mental health situation for the first time and are looking for information of going, how do I deal with this? And where do mm. I look for this information? And the more people who are comfortable and can share their stories about going through it and that recovery to a certain extent is possible is really important to guide other people. We turn into guides for people who are just starting their journey, I feel. Let's talk about the 
elephant in the room, well, elephant in the world at the moment. So how's the COVID-19 situation in London affected you both as a creative freelancer and on a personal level uh, managing your physical and mental health? Um, well, as a creative freelancer, quite plainly, the work dried up really quickly, pretty much overnight. Um, I write a lot for a travel magazine. That's sort of my bread and butter job. And that just disappeared because, as you know, nobody's flying right now. Um, so that was a huge shock to my system because I had been relying on that for years and had a really good relationship with my editor there and did not ever think that that job would just vanish. But it did. Um, and then, of course, on top of that, you have all the worries about health, about health of loved ones. Um, and I had to also deal with the decision whether I stay in the UK or whether I go back home to Germany to be with my family there. And it's, I, I guess, everybody who's been in different countries, it's hard when crisis strikes and you uh, are not with everyone you love. Now, my problem is that I'm in a relationship here as well. So I also have my close friends here. So I'm quite torn between the two countries. And usually that wasn't a problem because it's a one-hour flight and I'm back home. But um, with this unfolding crisis, I just didn't know what to do. Um, because on a selfish level as well, the German healthcare system is a bit better than the British one. And um, so if I worry about my own health, I'd much rather be there. But if I then think about I would be staying with my parents who are in their 70s. I have to be very real about the fact that I could be bringing them the virus. So I can't do that either. So I'd be sitting somewhere else in Germany. I wouldn't be with them. Um, so then I thought, you know what? My life is here. But a lot of my friends are in, in London as well, and they don't have their families nearby. So, for example, my Australian friend, she can't go back home. So I've decided that it's sort of my place is here because we have to support each other, despite the fact that we can't see each other. But it's still nice to know that you have something that is close to family uh, around the corner. And if any of us fall sick, that we can have each other's back in terms of going shopping and putting the food outside and, and stuff like that. So uh, I decided together with my family that I was going to stay in London. Um, and I'm just watching the situation evolve. I think there are always still ways to go back home. Um, but I, it's obviously a lot harder right now. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to see how how it goes and hope for the best, but also in terms of routine and in terms of mental health, it's obviously the big issue. Usually when I worried about things um, after I go, for example, into a panic attack, I do know that the stuff I worry about isn't that big of a deal. I can logically see that and I have clarity about it. And with this virus, well, there's a lot of reason to worry um but i have to also admit that worrying never helped anything because right now i cannot change the situation so i'm working really hard on accepting the uncertainty um when the uncertainty is probably what i find the hardest 
to deal with. Um, so I'm trying to meditate more and just breathing into my body and feeling my, my, you know, my, my body and thinking, okay, I'm here right now. And whatever happens outside doesn't actually affect me right now in this moment where I breathe into, into my belly. Um, and that's what I'm <laughs> trying very hard to do and almost obsessively, which again, <laughs> is a problem in itself. <laughs> um, what has changed though, which is a, an interesting, almost positive side effect, is that I do suffer from PTSD as well. Um, if you've read, sort of, if you'd looked at my blog, you might know yes, about yes, that I did as see well. That, yeah. And um, and that often gets triggered in the streets of London when people come a little bit too close to me because it's almost like there's this radius of like 30 centimeters or something like that. And if you go closer than that, I jump internally and my alarm system really goes up within a second. I feel like adrenaline kicking in and I get sweaty and my heartbeat starts going faster and, and all of that fun stuff. And so that happens in London unfortunately still quite often because it's a crowded place and right now when I go to the shop I have two meters around me and more and my system has really calmed down so I felt a lot safer and more relaxed going outside um, and obviously that's not an ideal situation because in reality people will come back to the streets and hopefully you know rather sooner than later but it really, for me, was a bit of a wake-up call that there is a lot I have to do about that still. Um, and I always think, oh, I've dealt with, with that part. I've done therapy for this and, you know, I, I'm doing my mental health routine and I'm addressing everything. And that showed me the, the, um, like, that I felt so suddenly so at ease, showed me how I usually feel stressed when I'm in big crowds. Um so right now I'm enjoying that my system gets a bit of a break, but that's definitely something I will need to look into and be very real with myself about. Mm, I might need some help for that again and, yeah, deal with that. You're listening to the Beyond the Cuckoo's Nest podcast presented by Red Flag Canberra, Mental Health Action, and this is my Brave Australia. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, people who do have some level of mental illness and have had to develop skills um, to deal with it yeah. are actually in a little bit of a better position than other people who've never had to deal with those thoughts of panic mm. and anxiety because of an unknown situation. So like like you've just expressed that you've got some some skills around calming yourself down when you feel like there's a panic attack coming on um, and yeah. your breathing exercises. But there's a lot of people who just don't understand about that level. And I don't think they've ever had to understand apart from when uh, an issue like this comes up where the um, the great unknown of the future is, um, is upon them, basically. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think a lot of people are experiencing what anxiety like real anxiety feels like right now probably on a global level um and i'm i'm quite happy about the fact that that the the silver lining of it is that there 
is a lot out there that can help with that. And a lot of those things are popping up on social media right now, breathing exercises, all these apps that you can use to um, help you start meditation, start yoga, stuff like that, and checking in with yourself. Um, and now a lot of people are being taught that kind of stuff. And that, I think, if, if we can come out of this horrible time and having learned all those skills and also having compassion for the people who suffer from uh, anxiety disorders or depression or any of the of the mental health issues, and we can say, okay, we've maybe got a glimpse of it, and that's what they're going through on a regular basis. Maybe there can be a lot more sympathy and understanding, and that's a good thing. So as you can see, I also um, try really hard to find good things that can come out of this or um, positive things. And um, yeah, uh, we were saying, I think, before uh, we recorded that I'm trying to stay away as much as I can from the news and I fail every day because mm. I still spend a good two, three hours probably trolling the news sites and looking for something. I don't even know what I'm looking for at this stage because I know there won't be a vaccine very soon. It doesn't look like there is treatment next week available either. So what am I actually looking for? I don't know. But it's this compulsory, yeah, like an addiction that I want some positive news. So I've really started looking at positive news sites and mm. there are quite a few of yeah. them. And also uh, on Instagram, um, all the sites that focus on on good news um, that bring me a lot of joy and that also highlight how kind people are these days and how much they help each other. And um, that's amazing. We haven't had that in the Western world, that people really, really go out of their way to make sure that other people are okay. That's amazing. We denigrate social media to a certain, a certain degree, but at the moment, I think we're seeing the best of social media, apart from yeah. the news. The news is the, is the evil part of social media. Yes. But, but the interaction yes. and the connection between people is the best part of social media, and I think that's what's keeping yeah. us all connected. Um, probably a couple of examples, and I, we wouldn't have known what was happening, but the example of all, and I, I believe it was in London, um, all the people getting out in their balconies and applauding all the health workers. It's also, it was is extremely emotional. Um, I wasn't sure that a lot of people would clap. So I went outside in front of my house and started clapping. And I think I was a little bit too early, like proper German, <laughs> punctuality. <laughs> um, um, and then I started clapping and then I had all around me people starting to clap and cheer and some had like pots that they were hitting <laughs> and um, just creating a humongous amount of noise. And it felt like there was this wave going through the city of like positivity. Um, and yeah, I, I was amazed how emotional it felt. There was so much hope and I thought it was amazing. But at the same time, it's I, mm, I did wonder as well, if, is it for the healthcare workers or is it for us who sit at home and feel like we want to do something? Um, I have a lot of friends who are doctors at the NHS right now and they did say, oh, this is a lovely gesture. But at the same time, they said, yeah, but what we really need you to do is not go to the park, although it's super sunny in London at the moment. So it's a, it's a little bit, you know, <laughs> who, who's this clapping for? 
Um, and you have to do both. You have to go and, and follow the rules, which in London, eh, we don't get a lot of sun. And suddenly, since the <laughs> lockdown has happened, the weather has been amazing. I mean, I cannot stress this enough. It usually rains and it's April. And since day one of the lockdown, we've had like sunshine, blue skies every day. Today, I think it's 20 degrees, which is super warm for here. So it's testing the Londoners, you know, quite, this sounds silly, but usually when we have this kind of weather for maybe a day or two, everybody is immediately in shorts um, out in the park. That's that's how we roll. And we don't care if we have to go to work or anything. We really need to be at least an hour in the park at some point. And... Um, yeah, we had a little people bit of a giggle over that. That there was a there was a, a news item about um, the heat wave in the UK yeah. at twenty degrees Celsius, which is our standard day here in Australia. So yeah. we had a little bit of a chuckle over that one. So um, look, yeah, one... And, and it is yeah, it is quite funny. But it, people will be people, and it's about finding the right balance, isn't it? Nobody is saying be locked inside the whole time, but go outside you know, for a reasonable amount of time, exercise a little bit and then go back and don't sunbathe, you know. Well, that's the problem in Australia is that they've had to close the beaches because everybody, I'm not sure whether you saw those photos yes, of Bondi Beach. I saw that, yeah, they had to I go did. And, they had to close it because we go to the beach, that's what we do. So it's part of, yeah. part of our day. So that's a real restriction yeah. for people. And the weather's really nice too. It's probably about the same as England at the moment. We're about 19 or 20, so um, just coming oh, into autumns nice. and it's just quite nice. So um, I suppose mm. the other thing that I'm finding too is the online content <laughs> is wonderful. Um, I'm not sure whether you watch it over there, but it's a UK show called Taskmaster. And um, what they've been doing no. is, is putting their tasks online for people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which is hilarious. And what the, one of the tasks was uh, make a nightclub out of your bathroom and just <laughs> silly tasks like that and people putting the videos up on them. And it's wonderful. It actually takes you away from all the worries and you're looking at it and laughing and watching other people in their homes. And I just find that those things are really bring us together too. So I think, like you said, there are positive things that are happening. We shouldn't read the news all the time and, and look at the statistics and, and, and the deaths. We should be looking yeah. at the positive things yeah. that are going on. So, And the creativity that comes out of it. That's what I'm amazed online as well, how creative everybody is suddenly becoming. It's amazing. Well, um, yeah. yeah, we're the same. We we were looking at things to do because a lot of the things that, that Jane and I do together are live events. So obviously we can't mm. do those anymore. So. And conferences and things like that. Yeah. Suddenly so, we yeah. changed, yeah. Yeah, so podcasts are, are something that we can do and still get our stories out there. And the good thing about podcasts is, like with you, we can reach out across the world and get stories from everywhere, which is which is fantastic. That's why technology, we're lucky that we live in this, this uh, era of great technology to connect people. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm so grateful for. Can you imagine if we didn't have the internet? Or, oh, no. You know, or phones? That would be a very lonely situation. So I think, in in a way, we're more connected right now than probably ever before because we pay attention to the people that we check in with and we 
think about people maybe we haven't thought about for a while and we do pick up the phone more easily right now and just chat to people. So I think, again, one of the positive side effects is that we come closer together as a global community, but also within our like sort of smaller cosmos. Yeah, that's it's interesting. One of my cousins started up a cousin's Facebook page um, and a Facebook oh. group. And for I've got a large family, so we don't see a lot of our cousins and they're spread all over Australia. But we've been talking to people that we haven't spoken to for years or, or some of them I haven't even seen before. So it's, it's a, it is a great connector. It's yeah. fantastic. And it does allow you to allay that anxiety and that depression by connection because community and connection yeah. is, is the, the basis of dealing with those things because your depression and anxiety tends to flare when you isolate yourself even more from those um, from family and friends and um, being, yeah. a, being mm-hmm. able to connect so easily to them allays those to a certain extent. That was exactly what I was actually going to say as well because um, it just goes to show how important connection is for human beings. We're not meant to be on our own the whole time and not share things and um, I think this time really shows how much we crave social interaction and to talk to someone and to be understood by someone and to get confirmation about certain things from somebody. And that's not validation, but just, you know, we're not in it alone. And that's such a metaphor for anything mental health that, you know, it's just now happening on a global stage. Yes, yes, it is. And it'll be interesting to see after this, yeah, clears up hopefully that that what the change will be with that community connection because I think mm. social media did allow us to sort of wander off and separate from each other because we knew we could connect online, but I think the face to face human connection is more important than that, and I hopefully that we that comes back stronger than ever after this. Yeah, I think so. I think everybody is already sort of envisioning in however many weeks, months, whatever, the big parties that we're all going to have when we can hug each other again and be in the same space and enjoy that social interaction which we took for granted before. I do have one little extra question. It's not really on mental health. But I don't know, have you had um, media coverage of the deranged behaviour of shoppers in Australia? (laughs) <laughs> have you yes. have, you have is there anything like that happening in london or are you much better about i know you're absolutely. good at queuing over there no 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 we're, we're absolutely the same when it comes to toilet paper so oh, that was the first thing oh, yeah really? that was the first thing that was gone absolutely oh. we just goes to show we're all kind of the same um it's it's very odd and it was the same in germany as well um, so across Europe, it was the toilet paper that went missing from the shelves straight away. Um, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, like everyone else, I don't really understand how that happened. Um, and I think I heard when I was flying back from Australia in mid-February, I heard about people trying to get toilet paper in China, and that that was difficult. So I wonder if the news of that sort of 
set off the panic that that was going to be something that you needed during this crisis. Um, so I think it started there, but it's the absolute same. Like the shelves are empty, and now they've finally caught up with uh, restocking and everything. But they did limit uh, how many items you were allowed to take during the past two weeks, and that. So I think that's the same for anything. Pasta, rice was gone, eggs. I couldn't find any eggs for 10 days. So, and what's still missing is flour. So it seems a lot of people are baking. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's very similar yeah. with flour, us. Yeah. Can, yeah. So that's interesting. Um, and actually, uh, when I finish this phone call with you guys, I will go to the little deli down the road, which I spotted yesterday is still open. And I hope that they have flour there because I was going to make a cake for Easter. Um, I've never spent Easter not with my family. So I'm trying to replicate everything we do at home. But I do need flour for that. So I'm going to go hunting for flour after this call. Oh, lovely. Oh, well, good luck with your quest. And lovely to speak to you, Mari. And you. You can read more of Mari's stories at maristracky.com. Or follow her on Instagram at Mari Strachey, one word. Um, thank you very much. Well, thank you, guys. Okay. Bye, Mari. Okay, bye. This podcast was presented and produced by Red Flag Canberra. And this is my brave Australia. Thank you for listening.